0: Thank you.
1: Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox.
0: And I'm Lori Socks.
1: And today we're joined again by Paul and Carrie Doherty.
0: We interviewed Paul in episode 90 and discussed his book, An Uncomplicated Life, which is a beautiful memoir about raising his daughter Jillian, and we wanted to share his story. Today, Paul is back with his wife, Carrie, and we're going to discuss IEPs and how they really got through the school and education system to allow their daughter and give her the opportunity to attend college in typical classes with her peers. For me as a parent, I want to know how they did that. And also Jillian is about to celebrate her seventh wedding anniversary. And we are so thankful to Paul and Carrie for being candid, open and honest about what the journey of dating and engagement, living together and marriage, and how they supported their daughter in a manner really that how Carrie said it so wonderfully was, it's just parenting.
1: So welcome, Paul and Carrie Doherty. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you. You're welcome.
1: We had a great conversation with you, Paul. And Carrie, I know you joined in and we were happy as much as you did. But just talking about your family, the way you've, you've done things and the way you do things in your book, I'm so glad you're back.
0: How have you been? Very well, thanks.
3: Our son's getting ready to get married, so we've been a little busy.
0: Oh well, planning a wedding is hard. And thanks, friend. Thanks for your time. Yeah, um, how's j- we should let you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so, our first interview, we talked primarily about your book, "The Uncomplicated Life," which is about your daughter, Jillian. How's she doing?
2: She's doing great. Yeah, she's doing great. She's um, working three days a week right now, and she's on a dance team that marches and parades and she was just in a parade on Sunday in northern Kentucky so she's she's very busy with practice two nights a week or two days a week and parades coming up all summer she's pretty booked
3: and about two and a half weeks from her 7th wedding anniversary
2: yeah oh wow
1: amazing
0: that's amazing. That's, I think, and I and we didn't get really to talk about that part of Jillian's life, and it is something that I want to discuss because I think it's, you know, when when we first have our kids, it's it's kind of on that list of nevers. Yeah, and so um, I want to talk about that. The one when, um, when we first discovered your book, I know we talked uh, in our last episode about the way you raised your daughter, Jillian. And your story and her story really break so many of the stereotypes that were fed at the beginning of this journey. And it's something that I wish I had been given at the beginning of Liam's life, just because Jillian's life really does shatter all of those things that we're told. And the
1: whole world is told, society is told these misconceptions, you know, and your book's good for everyone because...
0: It's well, okay. Yes. It's a good read period. It's a good, and that, and it's hard to find a good book to read. And and I'll say that with good, with the prose and everything. Uh, Just as far as in this community though, I just feel like it's such a beautiful tool. Like one of those stories that remind you of what's possible because sometimes we can either believe what people tell us, or it can feel daunting or, you know, we get tired and start to doubt even what we believe for our children. And it's nice to have a book to say, hey, okay, yeah, it's like um, food for the soul, a, a nice light to guide. When we ended the last interview, there were a few things that we wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about. And one was getting your daughter through college. Because that's what you did. Your daughter, Jillian, went to college. And, you know, again, that's something. And, Paul, we discussed when, when we first talked about college is some that the system isn't necessarily set up for support and for those achievements. It's set up more to gear us towards not having that experience.
2: I could talk a little bit about how it even came up. Um, when she was a junior in high school, I went to a conference about going to college with kids with disabilities. And I was like, "Okay, this is great. There's going to be a lot of representation there. I'm going to figure out what I want for her. And I went and the speakers are all showcasing their particular colleges. And they were all talking about group home type living, um, taking classes on how to make your bed and how to cook a dinner, having activities for the kids with disabilities that it was all segregated. I was like, no, I really, what I wanted is for her to go and take real classes, just like she did all through high school. She took all regular ed classes. She might have an aide there or, you know, somebody to help her study or a tutor for before she took tests. And I thought that would just continue. I was, I think part of our success with Jillian is how naive we were. We did, It didn't occur to me that she wouldn't be going to college like everybody else. I just wanted to know what what sort of age she would have, what kind of help she would have when she takes classes and, and how do I get her signed up for college with her transcript, you know? So that was um, eye-opening to me. And at the lunch break, we were sitting at, at big tables, at my friend, Ryan's mom, that went with me and we were sitting there and i was saying the, there were probably 10 people sitting at the table and i was just saying i was disappointed because i'm looking for jillian to have a true college experience with true college classes and this lady was sitting there and she said well that's why i'm here because she's was the head of special education department at northern kentucky university and she wanted to start a program where kids with disabilities would come and take regular classes and she wanted to figure out how to get that to work and, uh, and funded and what all she would need. And I said, well, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for anything they've offered me up there. I, up on the stage was nothing I wanted. So it just so happened there was, I think, Northern Kentucky and maybe one other college in the country that was thinking of taking kids with intellectual disabilities and having to take regular classes at college. And she was there to just start it at Northern Kentucky. And she was going to start it the next year, which was great because Jillian's husband, Ryan, was graduating that year. He was a senior when Jillian was a junior. So he was in the first year of that program. So that's how we met Missy Jones, who was the head of special ed at Northern Kentucky and got on board. And and she's the one that said, this is what I dream of too. So she was just going to start it. So it was just by chance that we sat at the same table. I had never met her. It worked out great. It was happened to be a college that's 30 minutes away from us. So it was doable. Fate. It was fate. It was just lucky.
0: I don't know much about the college uh, system, but is there a special ed
2: department at all colleges? Well, what I mean by special ed is students wanting to be special ed teachers. Oh, okay. He was a professor and she was the head of that department. So she had her students studying to be special ed teachers with her program. Part of her class was they would go to classes with students if they wanted, or they would meet with them once or twice a week and and study for exams. And then Jillian, we learned about getting note takers in class. There was always somebody in class who would volunteer to be her note taker and she had carbon paper and they would take notes and then pass them on to her and then she could study off of those notes so it was so fate I mean it was just so um, I mean just because I was naive enough to go to this conference thinking they're going to talk to me they didn't speak to me but um, Missy did so it was just luck blind luck.
0: I think it's interesting that it's called naivete that we think our children are going to be supported and have an equal experience. And that was really when I had Liam's first IEP in going into kindergarten, that was exactly how I felt they saw me. Cause they were just like, Oh, that's really sweet mom. Exactly. You know, like, Oh, you want him to be held to, you want him to be held to this. You want him like so many times that I actually right after the IEP, I was like, this is what I asked for. This is right. Right. Cause I was just like, it just felt like, Oh, maybe I am doing the wrong thing.
2: Yeah, they're making you feel overreaching. Yeah.
0: Right. So they're not, I there are no IEPs in college. No,
2: no IEP. But are there supports and services? There is a a sports and services and basically they can also give you somebody to be a note taker if you can't find one, they're the ones who provide the paper for that and stuff and they they have special rooms where you can have privacy or, or extended time for taking tests, so they'll administer a lot of the exams for the different classes if they need to so they had special services it was more learning disability oriented than intellectual disability. So it was more like if you if you just need extended time, it wasn't really like you can use your notes and take this test, that, not that kind of a thing, but um, the other stuff. But also getting back to when Jillian was in high school and, and around that same time, she's having her guidance counselor meetings about transition, we're, we're talking about transition for her. And I said, I want to go to college and take regular classes, that's what she does here. And they they laughed. They're like, oh, well, I don't think that's available. I said, well, I think it is. And then I went to the conference and found out it wasn't. (laughs) But then then it was. (laughs) Then it was. Yeah.
1: So what you walked in on that first year of them doing this was the special ed program of people training to be special ed teachers or in the special ed department, those students kind of running this program to assist other students that need help?
2: they were actually getting credit for it. Mm, okay, It was part of their curriculum. Got it. it became part of their curriculum to take a particular class with Missy Jones that involves being a mentor, being a tutor, um, that sort of thing. So it, it was part of their program to do this.
1: Because part of the pro- college programs I'm hearing about now, I'm thinking of the uh, Clemson Life and uh, I think Texas a m has one, I think there's a half a dozen or so uh, programs that it's a it's separate from the rest of the school i know that the kids are incorporated in, in i think that's what she was first the yeah was like the segregation but yeah that they're they're separate and they're taking different classes and that, is that what you're talking about like you know how to cook and and, and stuff like that and take care of yourself
2: right Well, that's where I should never, I shouldn't use the word program because that's what I think of when I think of program is something segregated like that. So this wasn't a program. Jillian selected whatever classes she wanted to take. And at that time, and I can't speak to what it is today, but at that time, she could take 36 credit hours before you have to declare a major. And if you declare a major, you have to be accepted with your transcripts um, into the college be matriculated so um so we never did she did 36 credit hours is what she did she did four years and we split it up in into four years to do 36 credit hours so she could take anything she wanted it was not a, a program i shouldn't use that word but um she took history and she took english but she also took theater and she took dance and she usually took a higher level academic class and then maybe a fun class. She took golf class, but she, she loved the history class. She took a couple of those. She took some English classes. She also took some special ed classes as in kids wanting to be teachers in special ed. She took some of those too. So it it was really a great experience. And it was, you know, we didn't worry about the degree that she wasn't going to get, but the experience of four years of college is well,
3: yeah, that that and I, we may have spoken about this last time, but I want to emphasize it because I, I do think it's important. Uh, I don't want parents uh, watching this and thinking, oh yeah, right. You know, this is make believe stuff. No kid with down syndrome is going to ever get a college degree. Uh, well, maybe not. And maybe so. I don't know that Jillian did not get a degree per se, but what she got that was to me, to us, I think was just as valuable was the experience of, of. of being an adult, coping, learning to deal. It's not an entirely unprotected area, a college campus, and this one is fairly small, uh, but but it, you're still on your own. And what uh, you
2: wrote about in the book is about getting lost.
3: Getting so. lost, you can't be found until you're lost. And we, as, as weird as it sounds, you know, don't call the feds on us or anything, but we didn't mind when Jillian got lost. Because then she had to cope and she had to fend for herself. She had to problem solve. She had to ask questions. She had to figure out, well, nobody's here holding my hand and telling me how to do everything. I've got to do these things myself. Um, And I thought that was hugely important. Not only that with her time as a manager for the men's basketball team, uh, she developed, not that she wasn't confident when she got there, Julianne's somewhat full of herself.
2: Overconfident.
3: <laughs> but uh she developed a, a a confidence in dealing with people and dealing with the guys on the team, with the coach, meeting expectations that she would not have had otherwise uh had she not had the college experience. So I, I thought just kind of setting her free in that semi-controlled environment for four years was as valuable as anything she learned in a in a classroom. Mm-hmm.
0: A lot of your story is working through the societal limits that are on the Down syndrome community. Like there are, there are limits. And what's so great about your story is that going into it without, because they shouldn't be there. But then once you see those limits, you're able to just see and forge your path because there is, I mean, even just then when you said, "Whoa, don't call the feds because you know, my daughter will get lost. It's like, we don't, I don't think about that for, like, that's part of growing up. That's part of the yeah, experience. Yeah,
1: we don't think about that for Sophia, our typical. And there's right. such right. a
0: different, there's such a different value put on everything. You're right. Like going into the college experience, students are allowed to find what it is they want to study. Not everybody gets a degree, but there's just, you know, we go into it or society goes into it with this, well, they're never going to graduate. So how can they if that's what's been placed there? It's like, and I mean that's an, a, a school institution saying that, and that's what I, I like that you, you guys just all right, fine, and then you move forward. And I think that's really so important about this journey, is that those words don't kind of stick, and you move forward. And
1: also, very often, the college degree part of going to college doesn't really pertain to the outside world. It's the experience of the life of college. You know, being on a campus in all that encompasses college life. And I'm assuming she enjoyed college life.
3: Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. It's like my friends said to me when I, or I would say to my friends when I was in college, when I was trying to talk them into going to the party instead of studying. (laughs) And of course, being a journalism major, there was no studying per se. Uh, It was more about actually doing, but, but anyway, I I'd say to them, what are you going to remember 20 years from now studying for this accounting exam or going to the fraternity house tonight? You know, it's four years of your life.
2: It's Cause and, you watch too much animal house. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I had a,
3: a, a great college career, but I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't count the education, the, the, the book learning as the top, you know, on the list okay. in terms of, uh, what I learned and how I grew as an individual.
0: How did Jillian like attending the classes where they're teaching people how to teach special ed?
2: It didn't, she just took it on as another class. I don't think, I'm not even sure if she put that together (laughs) to tell you the truth, that that's what they were learning how to do. But she, because she's always referred to other people. This is my friend, Sarah, she has Down syndrome. Well, geez, do you know anybody else with Down syndrome? Uh, Ryan? I mean, she'll be the last on the list. So She really thinks she's just like everybody else in that class, learning how she can help people with disabilities. That's really what it was for her.
0: I I wonder the effect that she had on the other students, because, you know, they go in there with a perception. Yeah. And they go in there with, and I think, you know, it's, it's altruistic and whatever drives um, people to follow the path of a, a special ed teacher. I'm hopeful for um, the people who are learning now because I feel like what's at the foundation is now more inclusive and um, maybe more of an actual perception of what disability is. I think with the whole inclusion thing that, you know, because you see a lot of the well, I shouldn't go on this because I'm basically going to say that any of the resource teachers that we experience I don't know what you experienced in your IEPs, but they kind of- They would come, never they, expected they, that when they, they were going to college. They wouldn't have expected anything. And I think it's great that if <laughs> right. someone is, first of all, you have Jillian in class with people who are learning who may have just a different, like they, they think they know what they're trying to learn and then- I would imagine that getting into college and having someone in your class have Down syndrome, blowing probably a lot of the misperceptions, uh, yeah, stereotypes out of the water. I hope so. I I would imagine so because that's the thing about inclusion is that I think a lot of the misperceptions come from no perception. Right.
1: Well, imagine these students going um, to, let's say, an elementary school and then using their degree to teach a special ed class. And to remember, always remember they had a a colleague with Down syndrome in their class. So they sit
0: in uh, your IEP and you say, I want my daughter to go to college. And they say, I had a girl in my class. It can happen. Why not? Right. And so I think, I think it's, I, I, I don't know. I love that. I was just curious if she had any feeling about the way that they were teaching to teach. Does that make sense?
2: Yes, it makes sense. But no, she didn't even, I don't think she connected that she was learning how to help kids with disabilities. That's really what she saw Saw that as.
0: I think there's such an equality there that that breaks so many presumptions. Like, of, of course, Jillian would need to train to mm-hmm. help children with disabilities just as much as the mm-hmm. next guy.
3: I think that goes along a little bit with with one of, the, one of our mantras, which was see, don't look. And there's a huge difference between seeing someone and looking at them. Yeah. Uh, the, those people who have taken the time over the years to see Jillian and not look at her uh, ha- have benefited from the experience. Those those who are too lazy or, or just don't feel like it to, to actually see her, but instead just look at her, they probably don't get a whole lot out, out of the exchange.
0: So what was your education experience and your IEPs? How did you go into, how did you keep her on this course? Because that's the that was the struggle. I know Liam is graduating. Uh, from elementary school on curriculum and it was a fight like just to keep him on curriculum and keep him yeah we're only in fifth grade receiving an education. Like what did and and you did it you know
2: years ago. What what did you do? It was a challenge. And I can tell you in our school district, one of the reasons it was a challenge is that you go into a building say kindergarten, and you go through all those meetings and and this is what we want for her, this is what she'll need. And, and you've dealt with the principal there and you've dealt with the counselors there and you've dealt with the teachers there. Every two years, they go to another school. So we start all over again with that administration. And that because here they have all the first and second graders in one building in the whole district, all the third and fourth graders are in another building. So every two years, until you get to middle school, intermediate and middle school, No, they were two years, two years, and then high school was four years. So it was like starting over with each administration every other year. We had to. It's almost like we had to teach them again how to teach. That's what we kept thinking. We're teaching the teachers how to teach this, or you know. And the biggest thing we would say is, it's it's the same thing I think about with the book that you wrote. That people talk about this being a book about raising somebody with a disability. It's a parenting book. We did the same things with our son that we did with Jill, Jillian. It's just that we had to do different. Th- we were still parenting and getting the school on board for a lot of things, but it's different. We didn't have to go through IEPs with our son, but you know, it's just parenting. And and being a teacher myself, I would sit in the IEP meetings and say, "You're just teaching. So you have you have someone sitting in your room that's a visual learner, somebody else who is a is hands-on learner, somebody who You know, wants to read everything and take notes. You have so many different learning styles in your classroom. This is just another one. Don't look at it as any different as any other student. If you have a student who doesn't know what understand what's going on, what how do you deal with that student? Do the same thing with Jillian. That's that's why I I just I was always amazed. Like I, I don't get it. Just teach, like you teach, you know how to teach. What what why what is it you're worried about? So
3: well, it was new and it was different and it scared them a little bit. It intimidated them for sure. And I did my best to intimidate them at the meetings. So um, they 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 were learning as they went, I think. And uh, you can say now that, you know, Jillian was the first to go to college, but she wasn't the last. And the next time somebody else went to college, the school was very quick to trumpet. Look, we thought that we could get a kid to college and lo and behold, we did well. You did, but only because somebody before you opened your eyes to the possibility. I I hope now that that because of what we tried to do, that the, the path is a little bit easier only because the perceptions hopefully have changed.
1: Well, that change is difficult. We see how to get to a change, but to expect other people to change is difficult for them. It takes effort. And it takes a different thinking. And it's hard to admit times. that you don't know what you're doing, or you could have done it better. Or, yeah, because
0: we know, but we know that across the board, as we're learning and as we know better, we do better. We know all of that. And for some reason, there's such a—I I see it. I see it. I—I I saw it at my IEPs at Liam's old school. There's such an ego there that like. They don't want to admit they don't know what they're doing, but how could they know what they're doing when our children have not been included for very long? You're right. But I think the ego of feeling like you're telling us we don't know what you're, we're doing. And it's like, yeah, but you don't. And we're figuring it out. And, and a lot of this change comes from within the community. Like you said, we do the work and then it's frustrating because it's like, we did the work, but you get to tout it. But, it's again, it's their ego. So if they tout it, then maybe that that opens the door for people that come behind them. And then they have a different accountability.
3: Yeah. And there is the matter of of the law. You know, we, we can talk about all this other stuff. But the law is the law. Yeah. And the law needs to be followed. And we're here to make sure you follow it.
0: But didn't you find that they very blatantly broke the law? Yes, I mean, I don't think there's much regard for that law. Like, I, I, f- I feel like the there's no for consequence yeah. for breaking the law, uh, violating a civil right.
2: Well, here affects, comes them. here comes in uh, Jillian's mother-in-law, who is an advocate, a special needs advocate, and so she came in when Jillian was in high school and attended our meetings when we weren't getting what we wanted, and she's very good at it, and so she knows the law inside and out. And so she, we were able to get things. Done because we had to bring in somebody else, which is unfortunate. But why I try to also tell the teachers, like I would talk to them behind the scenes, and there are things that you have available to you, the school needs to provide if we ask for it, that will make this easier for you. If there's something you're not feeling comfortable about, you think you need another person in the room with you to help out, as long as they're also helping everybody else in the room, not just sitting with Jillian helping everybody in the room there's a lot of other kids that fall through the cracks you know so we were like you tell us some of the things that you might need we're going to talk to our advocate she's going to make the school get it for you because it's the law and and if there's something that she needs support with then they have to provide that and so it was sort of like having the advocate was help helping us but in some ways I wanted the teachers to understand they're here to help you too because schools have budget restrictions they have staffing restrictions they have all that they don't want to have certain things on their their grade report numbers so um, that's why Ellen's here as well so that she can help you get what you need but we need to know where you think you need them. The most.
3: Help. Well, and we may have been the first uh, with this issue, we wouldn't be the last. Yeah. So you might as well get used to it. You might as well do what you're supposed to do. And, and frankly, it in most of these cases, it's simply the notion that it is easier to provide the service than to pay for the lawyers. So do you want to provide the service and, and make yourselves look good and, and, and in the process benefit a child who wants only to learn and to do well? Or do you want to go to court? Um, I, I would think that that's a pretty, pretty easy, uh, answer to, to come up with.
1: What a I, good combo. you guys! I was just are.
0: thinking that you guys have that like good cup, bad cup <laughs> combo. Like <laughs> I was just going to say, you say that's so mean. <laughs> I was going to say
1: know, brains and brawn, but I want to take anything because <laughs> Carrie is super strong and, and Paul so, so is smart it's like, like,
0: because it's both, you need both sides. I think that's been part of my challenge with this, like that tough, the words that you're using I never enjoyed it. And I always felt it just, it just really made me feel like, shouldn't I just be able to use these words and the logic and the law? Like, shouldn't I just be able to remind you that you're teaching and that there's equality in the schools and this was fought for in the 1970s and then reiterated in the nineties with idea. Can't we get past this conversation that we have every year? And there's like a small percentage that would be like, mm-hmm, this is what we already have for this and this is what we're going to do. And there was a large percentage that then I had to turn to and say, you're violating someone's civil right. Um, this ca- this is due process. This is breaking up." And then I had to pull out like, you know, the, the hard legalese. And I think that is maybe sometimes what's challenging for parents because we don't want to be, I hear this all the time, I don't want to be, Uh, the squeaky wheel. I don't want to be confrontational confrontational or they're not going to like me or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's, that makes it really hard. But I think that's kind of the game that sometimes they play. And, and I, and I think it's, it's great that we always talk about, like, if you can have an advocate and a lawyer, we actually hired a lawyer for seven out of eight of our IEPs at that school. And the one that we didn't was just really horrible. went,
1: Went down, down the tubes. Oh yeah.
0: But no, it is the law. And you would think, Paul, yes, that it it's cheaper. But I think that they rely sometimes that parents just don't have that energy to do it. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I I have hope that there's change. There's constant change. I can say that for Liam's new school. Good. It's really great, Good. and it's an inclusive, you know, public school. But it's they. This is as
1: if parents like us got together and said, "What do we want?" And then built this school. Oh, that's and great. It kind of happened that way. But I want to see this model really really grow because it's great for everybody. Yeah, It's it's an inclusion model. It's great for typical kids, atypical kids. It's neurotypical. We're we're all just learning from each other. society.
0: So you went through and you just... Pushed. Pushed. And it sounds like you connected with, this is a team and this is what we're supposed to do, Carrie. And you, Paul, reminded them, this we're a team, this is what we're supposed to do, but it's also what you have to do because it's the law. Mm -hmm. And that's something that... You know, I hope parents just have the energy to do.
2: And I hope it gets less and less confrontational as as time goes on, because I would like to say that because we opened doors at her school, it was open for the ones behind us, but it wasn't. They had to fight some too. So it's sad that it hasn't progressed as quickly as we think it should, but I'm hoping that it's at least progressing somewhat.
0: Middle school? You had the fight in middle school?
2: Oh, they assigned her to the self-contained classroom.
0: Hmm. And what did you do? You did, how did you,
2: yeah. what What did you do? Hello? <laughs> she's in regular ed. That's what she's always been in. She's going to continue. And so, no, she will not be doing that. I mean, it, it's like, I don't know. I, I can't understand how, I'd say, like, don't you guys talk to each other? Did you get any of her records from the year before because she doesn't do this. She she's in all regular ed classes, but no one with down syndrome at that district had ever been in all regular ed classes through high school. So, they it was just like once middle school came they're like, "Okay, well now they've probably had enough and, you know, we'll just put her in the self-contained classroom." I'm like, "Uh, no." No. So, in fact, when as after she graduated and went to college and then she worked as an aide in a special ed classroom at that district, so she went back and worked as an aide in one of those classrooms. So I'm like, this is this is where she can be there as a teacher's aide, but not as the student. So I, I self-contained classroom is has its purpose and has its place for a lot of people. So I'm not saying there shouldn't be something like that. I I don't really have an opinion on that. I just knew it wasn't for Jillian. She had proven that she can function and she can learn and she can do her work with the supports that are legally due her in a regular classroom. And that's where we wanted her to stay. So, yeah, we had to do that fight again for middle school.
0: And that was another due process.
2: No, we only did one uh, due process and that was in high school. And that had to do with a reading program we wanted. So we had to file due process and, and it never went to court. They gave us what we felt she needed. But what did you do? Like,
0: um, because I'm hoping that there are listeners who have programs that are more not so like, you know, brick wall, uh, that it sounds like the program that the schools that you were in at least were, I mean, they were open to change.
2: Well, um, and I'm sure you guys are very up on what he's entitled to and what Jillian was entitled to. So by middle school, obviously, we were quite educated on that. So we were just insistent and use the right terminology of what she's entitled to. So that helps. If you use the right terminology, I think they're a little more worried about you really will go through with going downtown, you know, that helped us a little bit, but it was just being absolutely insistent. And and the only time we felt it was a total brick wall was in high school. And that's when we brought Ellen in who Julian was already seeing her son. So we are, that's how we met Ellen. Mm, but mm-hmm. um so, we
3: released the Kraken.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Ellen, Believe me, Ellen. Ellen, you want to have on your yeah. side.
3: She is a formidable presence in those meetings.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Maybe we'll have to have her on the next yeah. time.
2: But what were your magic words? Entitled um, interpreting the reading scores was a big one.
0: Um tell me about interpreting the reading scores. Like, what did you say about interpreting the reading scores?
2: Reading scores were a big issue, wouldn't we had to bring Ellen in, and that was um. They were saying she hasn't lost. Her numbers aren't going down, and and to me, all those kinds of scores can be skewed whichever way you want to read them, how you want it to come out. So we we knew how to say it to say she is losing. I mean, we we were proving she was losing time and skills. In her reading.
1: Oh, like regressing?
2: Yes, regressing. Thank you. Couldn't think of the word. So anyway, uh, so we had to prove that she was. They kept saying she wasn't because there's a rate that you can go down and it's not considered regressing. And we're like, yes, but from here to here at this test and this, to this, so it was it was basically about reading the results of the test in our favor. They were reading it in their favor. You know, that's that's testing scores are so. Skewed.
3: subjective they really
2: are so anyway that's what the reading part was about that stuff then there were the modifications where she can have a modified test and she needs to have a study guide for that we need to have that test given to us ahead of time so she can study from it i mean things that she was allowed to do that she's even allowed to have have her notes in class and take a test open book test for her. Everybody else couldn't do it, but she could because those are modifications that she is entitled to and she's allowed to use and she doesn't have to be moved to a different room to do that. She can stay right there with her class and sit there and take a test with her book open. And that's fine. If she can, to me, the research, if she can find a resource and, and figure out the answer from that, that's a skill that she needs to learn. So those kinds of things were, um, they, they kept referring to pulling her out and have her go to the, the resource room and study there or take her test there and I'm like no this is the teacher and this is the teacher who's modifying her test and modifying what she's doing and I want that teacher to be the one instructing her so it was that kind of stuff we we fought for
0: the law says the services and supports they need to access their curriculum that's what they're that's what right we're entitled to an idea, the service and supports. Right.
1: I think a lot of parents assume that if they ask for these modifications or accommodations, accommodations that that means their kid isn't in a typical classroom, that, that that's for to, the, to get the that, class. I need to get out of the classroom, but that's actually for your kid going through into the classroom with their typical peers.
2: Right, and then it came time for what were the state tests that PSATs and the others that they, they would give you in high school? They wanted her to have alternative assessment and not take the tests. And we Because I know the numbers show up on their school's record and they don't want those numbers. And I, we fought for that and she took all the regular tests because you know what, she's part of your curriculum. And if you don't think you're teaching her up to standards to be able to take this test with acceptable numbers, that's on you, not on me. She's a student enrolled in your regular ed curriculum. So we we made sure she took all those too.
1: Do you think it helped you from your professional background as a teacher to approach the administration?
2: <laughs> Do you think it helped? <laughs> well, I
3: def- define that. I, I think on, on different levels it helped and it hurt.
2: Maybe it would have helped if I didn't teach in that district. <laughs> but I taught in that district. So I knew all these people professionally and personally, and that we were going up against. So it was uncomfortable when she was at the high school and I was fighting teachers I see every day in the hallway. So- um, Well, it helped
3: you with the mechanics of the whole deal. Yeah. You understood how the whole understood. thing worked.
2: Education. Worked. Uh
3: education. It, it didn't do wonders for your future employment. No. <laughs> and that's another fight we had to have, and we won as well, and carried-
2: I had to do that it, it, that was it, another due it, process, but that was about my job
3: <laughs> she the, the principal tried to fire her. I mean that was in the book too and and uh,
2: the I principal
3: had... ended up apologizing, sorry. yeah,
1: Liam loves Star Wars, and I just don't see how you can't hear the story and and completely define the dark side and, the, <laughs> and the, you know like the good and the bad here, like the resistance is 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 against a family and a child that legally deserves this help and someone that, like, aren't we compassionate? And I guess
0: it's people disconnect from what they're doing and the only way, I guess, was it um, James Baldwin who talked about, like, the only way society moves forward doing what they're doing is to disconnect from the harm that they're doing and the damage that they did. And I think maybe that that's at the root of it. It's like, in order to behave like this, they have to disconnect from what they're actually doing. Right. But part of the biggest thing that people can take into their IEPs is Jillian's story and your story and what you did. And a lot of times what you get in an IEP is, this can't be done or ha ha ha. Oh, you really believe that for your child. And Yeah, the proof is in the pudding. Here's another story of a parent who fought just the way that we're fighting, and their child did indeed attend college and take college-level classes, Mm -hmm. and it's there. Right.
2: And another thing that I would tell parents when they're going to an IEP meeting, like somebody will say, "Um, Jillian didn't really have behavior problems, but some kids have behavior problems. They'll say, well, they tell me at the IEP meeting that he did this or he did that. And she says, you know, then I don't know what to do. And I said, that's where you say, and how are you handling that? You teacher, how are you handling that? Because why are you telling me, uh, you know, did you call that other parent when you're, when somebody fell asleep on the desk? No, how are you handling it? This is your class, your student, you tell me how you're gonna handle that. Instead of me coming up with the solution, why aren't they coming up with the solution? That's, I say, turn it back on them, that's their job.
1: Very often there's more pressure put on our kids than other kids. I've said it so many times that like, they go, oh, you know, it's so nice to have, you know, Liam in a typical class because he can model from his peers. And and I go, there's tons of reasons not to model off of a typical fifth grader, you know, like there's tons of stuff that fifth graders do Yeah, and they actually won't get called out for it as, as hard as Liam would be.
0: Right. Okay, can we talk a little bit about, because you guys both came from two distinctive different different backgrounds, and you talk in your book about how those backgrounds influenced the way each of you parented, Jillian.
3: Well, I, I, from my standpoint, the the most important thing I took from my growing up was the need for stability, the need to know that certain things were a given and, and should be a given for any kid like knowing that your mom's gonna be there in the afternoon when you get home and that your mom's not only gonna be there, but she's gonna be upright and in good shape, not constantly moving. We moved a lot when I was a kid and and Kelly and Jillian lived in the same house from the time each was born just about. Kelly was born in Dallas, but uh, we moved to Cincinnati when he was what, a year and a half. Mm -hmm. They, They only knew one house. And they only knew two parents and, and they only knew two parents that cared a lot about them and that they could always depend on. I don't know how that affected how I helped to, to raise Jillian. I, I only know that I thought it, that all that stuff was very important and we did our best to to uh, make sure that happened.
2: I think our different lifestyles helped us more with Kelly than Jillian because I, I grew up, as he calls it, Beaver Cleaverland. And- yeah. I never did anything wrong. <laughs> no. I mean, like people would say, well, what happens if you don't get home by your curfew? I, I never not got home on my curfew. So I don't know. So when Kelly would do things wrong, I mean, he had his acting out times. Paul was able to handle that stuff because he acted out as a child. So. I, told, I would
3: tell Kelly, you're doing everything that I've already done.
2: Yeah, and it was all new to me. Yeah, and I was like, shocked. So yeah. it was, I, it, he helped me understand a lot of things being quite normal for a, a kid to do. So it's like, okay, that's that's good to know because I never had that problem. But no, I really think our outlooks on life are slightly different because of that. I mean, you're, like I just said, I don't mean to be blunt about positive and negative, but I, I, I find it surprising when people don't do the right thing <laughs> and he doesn't find I can that be a bit cynical. <laughs> Well, in your book,
0: it's a it's a very beautiful chapter, and that's why I wanted to touch on it a little bit because you come from two vastly different environments, but you're you were both perfectly equipped to raise your daughter. And both of the places, whether you come from Beaver Cleaver, everything is great, or whether you come from some place that you're challenged or there's want or difficulty um, there are gifts that you have as a parent and there are things that that helped you like Paul bring the law down stand up because you know that this is what's right or wrong and you know that people don't always do what's right and Carrie you know you expect of course my daughter's going to college you know and I think for our listeners it's that was one of the chapters that I, the the honesty in your book about your life and and about your feelings and emotions and how you raised your daughter. I think, I think that's really what struck me the most. Thank you. Yeah. Let's discuss dating engagement, marriage. That is a huge thing that parents are told that is not to expect, not to expect. Which is silly because if they handed me Sophia and said, "Don't expect her to marry," it would be like, "What?" But like,
1: so or that's her choice. Huh? <laughs> yeah, but
0: that's her choice. But so, but honestly, like you know, um, dating. How did you the the feelings the the thought? How did that go? Dating, engagement, marriage. Like, do you want to talk a little bit about that?
3: It was that sort of thing is the same as everything else. We, we naively assumed, well, of course, Jillian will date course she she'll find a, a guy and fall in love and get married. It never occurred to us that that wouldn't happen. And it did. I I think Jillian is very lucky. She has her mother's personality. She's very outgoing and, and talks to people easily. And, and you, you might assume by the way that I write, that's our dog, by the way. Um, <laughs> you might assume that I'm this open book. I'm not, I, I don't. I don't make friends easily. The friends I make are long lasting. Uh, I, I don't like talking a lot. Um, you can tell that Carrie, it's good that Carrie likes to talk more than I do because I don't <laughs> like to talk. And, but Jillian got, is, is gregarious and always has been. So the notion that it would be hard for her to find someone or to meet someone didn't, it never occurred to us. And and Ryan was the only guy she ever dated. So Worrying about breaking up and all that other stuff was never a big issue. And and like I said, you never thought that it wouldn't happen.
2: Well, really? they start, they met on a, a soccer team, top soccer, which is a soccer team for kids with disabilities, and they were playing on the same team. And he asked her out to the his homecoming dance. He was, what was he? He was a freshman in high school mm-hmm. and she was in eighth grade. So that was their first date and. I think the process of them falling in love and wanting to be together, we tried to always, well, first of all, we were in sync with his parents. So we became very good friends with, best friends with his parents. And I think having all the parents on the same wavelength is good. We all expect, we all hope for the same kind of things, but they dated for 10 years before they got married. They dated for seven years before they lived together. And then three more years later, they got married. And for us, it was important to let them set the pace. So at the very beginning, you know, we would organize because they don't drive. They'd have to, you know, parents have to be involved for all their dates. So we would set things up, but then, then we didn't, we were like, let me let's just wait and see if They say they want to get together. They would say they want to get together. So, okay. So we'll plan something and you guys can get, to, we'll drop you off. When they were really younger, we would go with them wherever, but Like a restaurant, we'd sit over there at a different table, but then it became just drop them off and that kind of stuff or the movies or whatever they wanted to do or coming over to each other's house and and spending time and giving them alone time as well as, you know, all of us together time. But, but we kind of always wanted them to set the pace. We didn't say, hey, you want to have Ryan over? Let's have Ryan over for this. We kind of waited to hear them say they want to get together. So, and you know, if you don't want to do something with Ryan, you're allowed to say you don't want to do something with Ryan. No, I do. I mean, you know, so we had those conversations. And um, I don't know how graphic we want to get about things. But
0: please do. Uh, Honestly, please this is I think this is the part yeah, that we, nobody we, talks about and this yeah. is like I have a 12 year old boy now that like in school they're starting to teach about puberty and honestly the the class that my daughter got was kind of like pretty lame too and I think this is important for parents okay and I don't think we get real conversations yeah. and real answers about this okay <laughs> Paul you okay <laughs> like yes please tell us the conversation i just getting a drink of
3: water my mouth suddenly went dry <laughs>
2: <laughs> how did you approach puberty and sex and and that stuff like Okay. Well, like they would come to each other's houses. They could go down to the basement. Well, you know, whatever you want to go down there for a while. Sure. You can go down for a while. And then we never knew for sure what was going on. And um, I remember one night Ellen and Dimitri came over to pick up Ryan after the date was over. So you go to the basement door and you knock and You say, Hey, uh, it's about time to go. Come on up. And then, and they came up and Ryan's shirt was on inside out. and so we're all in the living room and and they're just talking to us about oh yeah we we could do this you know we see each other whatever the plan next plan is and and we're the four parents we're all just like trying not to laugh because we could see his shirts on inside out so we know something and then
1: and age-wise
2: they were between i'm gonna say 18 to 20 somewhere in there that age range because um, she was about 22 when they were gonna move in together. And before they were gonna move in together, we did some practice runs with, they went to a hotel for the night. We made it one that was very close so we could go out in the middle of the night if we needed to, if anybody was upset with anything. And they went to the hotel and spent the night, had dinner and uh, picked them up the next day, took Ryan home, brought Jillian home and sat her down and said, well, how is everything? Is there anything you want to talk about? Anything you want to ask me? Well, I, I do want to ask you one thing. Sure. You can, you can ask me whatever you want. When can I do that again? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So we wanted them to try that out a little while and then we let them move in together. Yeah. Did you have
0: a sex talk before the hotel?
2: Uh, just about making sure that they're comfortable together And I know Ellen and Dimitri talked to Ryan about respecting people and, you know, you're just going to be together. You don't have to do anything, but make sure that if you're, if you're not liking something, you just say, I don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't like that, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then we really got into it when they were living together and then they were going to get married. So three years of living together, then they were going to get married for the full year before they got married. They did go to counseling once a week and it's like a Dr. Ruth kind of sex counselor and talking about relationships. And I mean, she got into exactly what you're doing, what makes you uncomfortable, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So she, Jillian was on birth control and they had counseling and they, it was unusual. They lived together, but Dimitri had to bring Ryan from one location from his work. I had to bring Jillian from her work. So we would meet there and, and Dimitri and I would sit out in the, Lobby, and sometimes she would bring us in if Jillian and Ryan said yes. Tell my parents what you just, what we just talked about, and so she would tell us what they talked about and anything they wanted us to have conversations with them about for the next week before they would come back.
1: That's brilliant. I, to be honest, I mean, five minutes ago, I wouldn't have known, wouldn't even known where to think to go, and now at least, yeah, between the hotel scenario and living together, and then a sex relationship counselor all things that anybody could use to just right. have
0: healthy relationships. have relationships. a healthy relationship. Like I said, it's parenting is parenting. Yeah. I think it's just that like the world maybe doesn't see that equality there and that need there. It's just like you always get comments about people think oh, that there's this inability. There's, there's a non-equality.
2: Oh, we have plenty of people who, who will tell us out. Oh, my son doesn't need sex. He doesn't need to fall in love with somebody. He's fine. It's like, No, I really want my children to fall in love and experience life and all of that and live independently. That's, that's the goal you have for all your kids when they're born. The first day they're born, you start sending them out. I mean, you want, you're planning on sending them out, living their own lives. So I'm always shocked when people say something like that, like, yeah, they're, they're very typical. They're more typical than Mm -hmm. you understand. No,
3: you raise your kids to leave. And obviously that's part of leaving. Yeah. Big part.
2: But just to experience love and, yeah, you know, even if it wasn't love, some strong companionship they could have together, but mm-hmm. they truly care about each other. I mean, you know, when I saw Brian holding Jillian's hair back when she's throwing up in the toilet, I- I'm like, this guy's a keeper. We want him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's that, that your eyes of equality are really what come through in the book and allow Jillian to have the path that she had. And even just in that, like, I think they're so, you're right. This is a parenting book. Um, And and I said it before. I think it's just a beautiful book for, for anybody to read and finding good prose is really sometimes hard to find. It's nice. Yeah. I thank you for like your, for your honesty, because those are the conversations that are just, it's hard. I want to know how to talk to my son. I want to support him the same way we want to support him in school. We want to give them the supports to access life. We want to give them the supports to reach their potential in all areas.
1: And you're going to have ideas of what to do as a parent, but to collaborate helps to see a model ahead of you do it. You know, it's, it's just some kind of, like you talked about, the path that might be worn a little more because you went through it and maybe a little clearer for people behind you.
0: Yeah, your story is a story of breaking the rules and making a change. And it's really beautiful because it's a true story. And it's a story that we can use as a touchstone. It's a nice story to give to, you know, family members when your child is born who may have those blinders on. It's a nice story to hand to your school for their library or for your teacher to read to know that the only reason that they don't see things is because they, they didn't see it because it wasn't there, but now it's there.
2: They hadn't experienced it yet. Yeah,
0: they hadn't experienced it yet. Thank you. Thank you for that, Carrie. Yeah, I love your book, Paul. I really love it. Well, thank you.
3: I wish we'd had you guys as our publicists when the book came out.
0: <laughs> it's it's like a guidebook. It shows you that you just forge your path and you you fight the fight and you parent like you parent every yourself. child with mm-hmm. with the same, you know, with that same motivation to, like you said, give your children this life and let them experience it and have all the experiences and feels.
3: Well, I, I hope it, it didn't come off at all as, as preachy. Yeah, we're we're not telling people this is how you do it. We're telling people this is how we did it.
2: Yeah, what worked a for us. Big
3: big difference, and everybody's uh, different, and their styles are different, their temperaments, their the their their children that they're they're trying to to get through this life are, are different. But um, it, this was just our story.
0: Well, you said that before that you didn't want to come off preachy. But I understand where you're coming from that. You don't want it to, you don't want to sound like, hey, I have it all figured out. Um, I'm, I am always asking questions and that's really why we have this podcast is so we can find answers that, that aren't out there and we can share those answers and those stories. And your book isn't preachy saying this is what you do, but it's, this is what we did. And the truth is you can, and I'm going to show you that we did in hopes that it inspires whatever anybody else's can is. Like, I don't know what my can do is. The limits are built by other people that aren't really necessary part of this journey. The breaking down the limits come from within the community. And, and that's what you did. And you showed that and it's a, it is a really beautiful story. And it's, and I don't, it's not preachy at all because you're pretty honest about how you took the news and your challenges and mistakes and the mistakes that you've made and you know and we all do that no parent is perfect and we're all figuring this out and with every child and i really think that's what your story shows is there's it's the same it's equality it's it's the same that you would do for any child and the only thing that makes it different is society tells us as parents that we can't and you did so if you did so can we and that helps us heal, and that helps us grow, and that helps us make change. Well, thank you. So yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks thank so you much for so joining us much. again. Thanks for everything that you've done, and um, thank you for your honesty. Thanks for having the conversation. You bet. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Bye-bye. Bye. Please follow us on Twitter at IfWeKnewThenPod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at IfWeKnewThenPod, or visit our website, ifwenewthen.com to send us an email with questions and comments.